Ian Power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. Today on the Home Discovery Show, we'll talk home inspections, infrared cameras, thermography. Also, we'll talk about concrete and concrete remediation, if that's even a word. Strata living brings for many a lifestyle of compromise. Where does one's rights trample on another? In the case of a neighbor who smokes a lot, especially when the breeze is blowing directly into your home and it becomes bothersome, I asked Tony Giaventu, Executive Director of the Condominium Home Association, for his take. Well, it's a nuisance. So, you know, do I, I have a right to use my strata lot in a way that I'm not going to be exposed to the lifestyle of other people that creates a nuisance for me. So if, I'm, if I have a chain smoker living next door and we have some air tightness issues in the building, then I'm going to be living with it as well. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be dealing with, you know, the contamination of their strata lot, my strata lot, other adjacent strata lots. Uh, people who smoke on their balconies at three o'clock in the morning while people are sleeping up above them with their windows open. Right. You know, we, don't, we have a lot of buildings uh, across the province because of our moderate climate that don't have air conditioning. So the warm weather comes out, people sleep with their windows open at night. And it's um, one of the benefits that we have of living on the coast. But um, add cigarette smoke, marijuana smoke, uh, your barbecue. Uh, people even use their fish smokers on their <laughs> on their patios and on their balconies and their again. I'm uh, taking notes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and their their apartments and their complexes. And you know, and then they're then they're just absolutely dumbfounded when somebody uh, comes to them and complains about it. And we're if we're going to live in close proximity with each other, we have to have a little bit more respectful. Good case decision though. Um, uh, in uh, uh, last month, um, that basically determined that an owner was not permitted to smoke in their strata lot. Um, there's yeah. a pending human rights application as to whether that this is a human rights issue about addiction. Um, but I think the question that'll be asked around addiction is what's the addiction? Is it smoking or is it nicotine? Well, right? this is interesting because uh, I, I sit here and I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm thinking, I'm a, I'm a non-smoker and I'm, I'm not a big fan of it at all, to be honest with you. But at the same time, I, I appreciate somebody's want to have the, the right or the privilege or whatever it is to be able to smoke in their own place. So how, how do you find that balance? You know, it's when you start living in close, close proximity with each other, you start have to balancing out what the needs of the collective are as much as what individual rights are over property. And, and it's, a, it's a very fine balance as to how many of my personal property rights get infringed upon when I live in a strata uh, versus what's the collective interest. So, you know, noise, cooking odors. There's another issue that people really uh, flip over about. You sure. know, if somebody who, yeah. you know, I, it's a dietary pleasure, but people who boil fish, the whole building pays for it, right? Uh, you know, and, and hey, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, um, you know, but it's, it's a problem that everybody experiences and smoking's a, an issue too. And it, it, strata's need to exercise a bit of accommodation for people that may have limitations or special well, needs, you, right? Well, you just said accommodation. I'm thinking, what about the hostile neighbor that doesn't want, wants no part of it? They, you know, like, how dare you tell me how I can live my life? Well, they'll find those, they're going to find themselves as a result of the case law, they're going to find themselves in the courts, they're going to end up being fined, they're going to end up with court orders, um, ordering them to cease their activities, and they'll pay the price for that. Is and this happening more? Are we seeing uh, these kinds of things where you're actually pissed off at your neighbor that you'll, you'll try to take some action against them? 
I think we'll see it happen a lot more when the tribunal opens this fall. You know, civil resolution tribunal will have the authority to order owners, tenants, occupants and strata corporations to do things or stop doing things. And so you're going to see quite a bit more. It's going to be much economically more accessible. It's much more timely. And the day to day disputes about what my owner is doing, you know, they're they're simple things. You know, putting a a piano on a common wall between two units and your kids get home at four o'clock and they pound away for an hour every day. Move the piano to an internal internal wall so it reduces the noise as much as possible right. you know we, we have to accommodate each other in our lifestyles um, and in the same token we have to be tolerant you know people have to live people are thinking though you know i just spent 600 800 900,000 dollars on my townhouse you know i'll be darned if you're going to tell me where to put my piano inside my own walls well, and that's a choice that you'll make. If what you're doing is causing a nuisance to one of your neighbors, then the strata has no choice. They will enforce the bylaws or the neighbor is going to ensure that they're enforced and exercise that. Price is um, it is kind of a, a weird thing these days, isn't it? You know, we used to talk about condos at 79 yeah. you know, going back. Uh, those condos today are selling for $800,000, $900,000. Right. Yeah. And the value of the property, just because the property is higher value doesn't give me more property rights. Tony Giaventu is the executive director of CHOA, the Condominium Homeowners Association. Coming up just after 11 o'clock on CKNW's Vancouver Consumer, we'll hear Mr. Giaventu's take on Airbnb and similar short-stay rentals and how it affects strata living. Up next, need-to-know home inspections. We'll talk to Trina Scare about infrared home inspections. We'll talk about concrete and concrete remediation, and we'll have some time for your calls as well on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power in with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. Trina Scare's background in construction and renovation proved to be invaluable for her need-to-know home inspection services. It's a business that, which was built on some 20 years of solid, practical knowledge and training. Nice to have you back with us, Trina. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Yourself? I'm well. Are you enjoying this weather? Uh, I am. I'm stuck inside doing an inspection, but I'm loving it. How much of your time uh, is spent inside and how much time is spent outside when you're doing an inspection? Uh, you know, outside's about 45 minutes and the rest is on the interior, but it's an in and out situation. If you find something on the inside that's relevant to the exterior, you're, you're constantly moving around. Sure. So on a day like today, uh, there's no complaints? No, none at all. Okay, good. Uh, so what do you see as the role of a home inspector? Uh, well, the role of a home inspector is, you know, we're a limited non-invasive invasive visual examination of the current condition of a home at the day of the inspection. Um, We come in and find problems, uh, potential problems, and we try and explain to the client the outcome of what could happen if, you know, things aren't taken care of right away um, and if they're left long term. Mm -hmm. And what are the qualifications for you or your um, colleagues that are licensed? Uh, That is obviously one of the qualifications, but how do you get there? There is extensive training that we need to accomplish a certain amount of hours in education training. And then there's in-field training, uh, a peer review exam amongst your colleagues, and uh, a final grade that gets you through um, all of that. And then, you know, you, you need to consistently practice in-field, um, consistently go through training and education. It just helps us uh, educate the consumer. And technology changes, industry changes, and we find out firsthand what's going on in the industry. Mm-hmm. One of the questions that comes to the Home Discovery Show, and often, I might add, is what, uh, what, if any, are the liabilities of a home inspector? 
Well, you know, if we are not uh, diligent in our inspection, uh, liability does come back to us. Um, there are limitations to what we can do. We don't open walls. Uh, you know, if we go into houses that are full of furniture and storage, we can't see beyond that. We can't be moving around people's stuff. Um, but if we find something or the homeowner finds something that, that we were diligent uh, or non-diligent in our inspection, um, they absolutely have right to have a complaint. Um, but when it comes to things hidden inside the walls, things that we can't predict, uh, there's a discussion about that in terms of, you know, where can we be on the liability on that? And that, that's a, I don't know if it's black and white, but it's definitely not gray. If I hire you as a home inspector and, and I suspect something's going on inside the walls, can I ask you to do any kind of destructive testing? When you own the home, I can. So I have to own it. In other words, yeah. you can't go into a home that I may be interested in buying and start ripping the walls apart. No. I mean, if you were selling your house, the last thing you want to come home to after an inspection is your drywall removed from your house. Well, fair enough. But where's the fun in that? Well, that, you know, that's my complaint. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things that we're, we're hearing a lot in the news, and this is no surprise to you, I'm sure, Yeah. but this is happening a lot. Uh, I, I don't know how much, nobody can seem to give me a number, but there's a lot of cases where potential buyers are removing subjects uh, in lieu uh, of, an, uh, of any kind of a home inspection. What are you suggesting people do? You know, in this industry, it's really tough right now. We just had our, our annual general meeting yesterday with all the home inspectors, and we're seeing a decline in inspections. And it's really scary right now for home buyers. I mean, we've talked about the increase in value and the money you've got to put down. There is no room for surprise problems. And when somebody's got all their, I'll call it eggs in one basket, money in one basket, you're buying a $1.34 million home, you can't afford a new roof. If you don't get an inspection, you're guaranteed to come up with surprises. It may not be in the first few months or the first year, but something will happen. Um, and, and as an inspector, I cannot put it strong enough how important it is for an inspection. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really unfortunate. And, you know, Consumer Protection BC, it'd be great if they came on board and started protecting consumers more against this type of action. Well, Consumer Protection BC, who, by the way, I have invited many times to appear on this program, but are uh, not available on the weekends, apparently, because mm. um, people don't live or work on the weekends, <laughs> so I'm told. But nonetheless, they are the governing body for your industry of home inspections. So uh, do they have a role to play in this, Is there, or is this from the Real Estate Council? I'm not sure... Uh, where the answer lies, but it seems a reasonable thing to want to have a home inspection. Uh, you wouldn't buy a car before you, you had a mechanic look it over, would you? No, no. And, you know, people go online and, and pay for a bike to be looked at before you buy a bicycle, a used one. Um, you know, where the answer lies, that's a really good question. I think there needs to be a lot of discussion in terms of what the best approach is. And I don't think there is an answer right now, but I think all of the governing bodies, the Real Estate Council of BC, CAPI BC, our organization, and Consumer Protection, um, as well whoever else in the government, I think we need to come together and have a really open discussion about this because, you know, not only are people losing their businesses in terms of home inspectors, we're, we're going down in terms of keeping ourselves afloat, but my main concern is the consumers. Um, you know, my inspection today, I'm, I'm discovering things that 
the homeowner would not have found until they moved in, and there would have been a major problem. I wonder how many people, though, that are buying these houses or potentially buying them, removing the subjects, if they really care at all about the home inspection. They want the property. Uh, come what may, they feel that they're, if whatever they're going to spend, they're going to get back and then some. So if they have to put on a roof in a year or two, I mean, it, it, I hear what you're saying. For a lot of people that are spending way, way over their budget, that's going to be prohibitive. But many people that are removing subjects may just say, well, that's a part of doing business. This is about a business. You're right, and there may be a lot of that, absolutely. Uh, I think personally, in my opinion, is that there's so much fear right now put into people's heads about if you don't go in with no subjects, you're not going to get the house. Mm -hmm. We're talking to Trina Scare, Need to Know Home Inspection Services. There are some tall tale signs to most good home inspectors that problems exist in a home but that are not necessarily obvious to the buyer. What are some of those? Uh, well, let's talk about uh, moisture infiltration. Um, you know, we're trained to understand what moisture infiltration looks like. Um, hopefully, find the evidence of where that is. Um, foundation cracks are a big one. Uh, you know, loose toilets. You don't think a loose toilet can, can do much damage, but there's substantial damage that can happen. Um, exterior of the house, we look for things that, you know, we'll talk about railings, for an example. Railings on top of a, a membrane can cause significant damage if not detected early. Um, and home buyers don't typically look for that kind of stuff. They just don't know about that. Sure. What are some of the most common deal breakers that you find when you're doing a home inspection and you go back to your who's, whoever's hired you, the potential home buyer? What are the, the big deal breakers that you come across? <laughs> Ironically, the number one is rodents. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I have more people f- more fearful about the rodent coming into their house than the cracked foundation wall or the leaning wall or fire hazards. It's, it's ironic what people will walk away from. Um, most most times nowadays, they just will buy no matter what. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah. And is part of that, do you think, when it comes to single-family homes, that perhaps many people are buying them with the idea of just simply tearing them down? Uh, that's a really good question. I think families that are buying homes are wanting a family home. But I think with the lack of inventory on the market and just talking to other realtors, uh, in the industry, they're just buying what they can get their hands on. And if their offer's accepted, bonus. Um, most of the time, they're just being outbid. So if they can get a place, even with, uh, you know, bad things about the place that they need to fix and spend a lot of money on, they're going to do it. Let me go back to the rodents issue. <laughs> Is it something that would prevent you from buying a home? No, not at all. Uh, you know, we live in a in a forest. We'll just call it that. We've taken over Mother Nature. Rodents are everywhere. They will find their way in the home. Uh, there are great companies out there that can help you get them out, eliminate the problem, and through homeowner due diligence about your house, you can keep them out. Um, you know, I've got rats in my house. They come back once a year, and we get the buggers out. Oh, don't talk about Dunner that way. <laughs> come on. He might be listening right now. <laughs> you are... You're a level one certified infrared thermographer. Yes. So uh, what is that? Because that's a, th- a infrared is a, is a phrase that's being tossed around a lot lately. It's not new, but it seems to be uh, employed more often now. It, it is, Ian. And I think with the infrared technology, where it has come, 
it's it's so useful right now. Um, a level one thermographer means I've gone through all the testing. I understand my camera and I know what to look for. Anybody can pick up a camera, wave it around, see something, and and call it. But unless you're trained and knowing what you're looking at, you can really misdiagnose things. Where infrared camera comes in handy is detecting moisture and heat problems. Mm-hmm. Essentially, I think that isn't that how the technology began uh, by providing thermal images and, and then it was uh, found to be also useful for uh, moisture ingress? Mm-hmm. Moisture ingress, for sure. Um, energy loss. Right. Um, yep. So what, what kind of training did you have to take to become level one? It's a three-day course, and you need to pass two exams in that course, and then you've got to submit a field exam. They review it and let you know if you passed or not. Now, are you pr- producing uh, pictures or video or both? I do mostly video, or sorry, mostly pictures, video once in a while. Um, but it's a separate report that I give. Uh, my residential clients get it within their report. The commercial clients for roofs, they get a separate report that's really cool. Lots of lots of thermal imaging. Right. So essentially, you're looking for energy loss, heat loss, and moisture. Moisture ingress. Okay. And so if you come into, let's say, if you go into somebody's bathroom and you point it at the exterior wall, what, what, what's the image going to look like? Uh, if there's no issues, it will be, depending on the setting you've got, um, uh, the color stays sort of the same. I've got my camera set it. If I see heat loss or water ingress, it's blue. But then you've got to determine what that blue means. Mm-hmm. Now, is this part of your regular service or is this a, like an add-on a la carte item? No, I add this to every home inspection, uh, and it's it's a, a quick scan. You know, I use it where I think there's a problem, mm-hmm. especially in condos. I always do the ceilings because of washing machines, sure. toilets, everything above you. And is it more common to, to find problems in condos? I uh, wouldn't say it's more common. Um, likelihood is higher. Mm-hmm. How much does a home inspection cost? Uh, my condo inspections are four twenty-five, and I read. I sit down and read all the documents, everything I can get my hands on, um, and houses start at four forty-nine. Four forty-nine, and yeah. that uh, includes a, a written report. Written report, everything uh, over the internet. It gives you a lot of uh, maintenance items to take care of. I find most people, you know, no no disrespect to anybody, but they don't know what to do with their houses. They mm-hmm. come from condos. They're used to strata doing everything. Maintaining is the number one key I hit on all the time. You ignore something long enough, it becomes a huge problem. Yeah, isn't that the truth? It is. That's just what I think that that adage can be applied to just about anything. Can you stick around? I can, yes. I want to talk a little bit more about home inspections. I also want to talk about concrete. Uh, We'll do that when we come back from our break. Trina Scare, Need to Know Home Inspection Services, Baumler approved. Brian Baumler has given her his stamp to use as uh, a service to you. Level 1 certified infrared thermographer and certified home inspector. More as we keep going along here on the Home Discovery Show. Be sure to follow on Facebook, the Home Discovery Show. And we'll be back on News Talk 980 CKNW. Thanks for sharing some time with us this morning. My name is Ian Power. I'm here with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. And our conversation continues with Trina Scare, Need to Know Home Inspection Services. Trina, I hate to do this to you because it really doesn't matter to me, and I'm sincere when I say that, but I'm guessing there are not too many women in the home inspection business. There aren't. Um, you know, prior to me becoming an inspector, there were five. 
and now there are 11 throughout BC. That's awesome. Good yeah. for you. What's your background? Uh, I started off uh, in the call center of a home warranty program and uh, moved up into roofing, learned a lot about that, got into construction builds, renovations, project management, um, piping retrofits for a building. Uh, Now I'm in concrete. I've been in concrete for six years, exterior masonry, and uh, just learning everything I can about that. I want to talk about concrete, but I also want to open our phone line. If you have a question about home inspections, uh, infrared uh, thermography, or concrete, which we're going to talk about now, but feel free to join us at 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your mobile device, whatever it is that you're carrying around. What what causes damage to concrete? Uh, Well, it depends what we're talking about. Um, Usually it's movement, ground movement of some sort. Um, If you're talking about driveways and walkways, trees can do it, the roots, um, you know, voids underneath if it wasn't compacted correctly. If we're talking about foundation walls, settlement cracks, again, movement in the ground. Mm -hmm. So are these, these ones that you've just described, are these the typical problems? They are concrete sidewalks a lot. It's just when trees start growing, they lift things, they move things, they crack things. Um, with foundation walls, there is always some settlement crack or shrinkage crack um, with it. That's just what concrete does. Um, there are significant cracks that can be and are serious, which one of them is the horizontal crack. That's probably the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that uh, perhaps uh, people are not curing the concrete long enough before they start building upon it? <laughs> you know, I can get into today's building right now and we would be here all day long. I think, uh, yes, it's not been cured long enough. Concrete needs to dry properly. Um, with our heat and it penetrating down, you have to keep concrete dry and it's got to dry gradually. And when things aren't done correctly, you do get a lot of cracking and settlement with it. Um, the shrinkage cracks just can be big. Anything over the size of a dime, you've got to fix. Okay. Uh, we're going to get to the phone in just a second, so hang on, Andy, uh, for a moment. I have just a couple more questions. Well, what about raising sunken concrete? Raising sunken concrete, it can be done. So there's, there's two different types. There's a, a mud jacking, which is like a slurry of mortar concrete, and then there's the foam spray. And both of them have their merit with different applications. Um, it, it really depends on how much it's sunk, um, the ground soil, what's going on with the rest of it. Uh, you definitely need to get a professional to come in and evaluate what's going on and make sure that whatever they're going to do is what needs to be done. And in a lot of cases, uh, some concrete just needs to be completely ripped out. The ground underneath needs to be evaluated, recompacted, and done properly. Mm-hmm. What about surface repairs? Uh, like, you know, what, what, what we'd call a hairline crack? Uh, in... In concrete, well, either I guess it's a, it's it's multi it's a multitude of things, isn't it? Uh, but I w- I'm I have to tell you, I was thinking about a sidewalk, but let's talk about the foundation as well, because oftentimes somebody will find a hairline crack in their foundation wall, uh, in their crawl space, or or in their basement. Uh, is there a difference between a horizontal or vertical crack? And if it's just a small one, need you worry about it? I think every crack should be looked at. Um, little tiny hairline cracks, not so much. Um, you know, should you inject them with epoxy to stop water infiltration? 
Absolutely. It's a, it's a really inexpensive repair. When you start getting into widening of cracks, so thin at the top and widening at the bottom, you're dealing with footing problems. When you have a horizontal crack, now you've got, um, you know, serious issues that are usually structural integrity. Those need to be looked at with more seriousness, not just filling it. One of the questions I like to ask people who are experts in their field is, uh, do you uh, advocate for DIY or do you think that concrete is something that needs to be left to a professional? Oh, gosh. I think concrete needs to be left to a professional. If you're, you know, doing a fence post and you want to mix up some concrete and put it in a sauna tube, great. But you got to make sure that your fence posts are straight and not crooked and twisted or you're going to just be at that fence all day long. Um, foundations for maybe a shed if you feel like it. Um, but you got to just, if you don't know how to compact the ground properly, if you don't know how to form the walls, you can have all sorts of problems and it can cost you double. Andy. Hi, Ian. Andy Barrar from Get Connected on CKNW. You've got, I know, and we talked about this, you said that you might call because you've been having some issues and you wanted to ask an expert about infrared. That's right. I have, a, I live in an old home and I've been renovating it over the last couple of years, but I have this one room that I put carpet in a couple of years ago and every time I go into it and if I close the door long enough, I can smell moisture it just has this this stale type of smell and i can't figure out where it's coming from previously there was damage to the window it was a single pane window the windowsill was kind of rotted from moisture i had replaced all that even repaired the wall so i can't visually see where the problem is and that's why i was interested about this infrared and i think my question is is it seasonal if it's in the spring or summertime can you still find where the moisture is coming or do you have to do it when it's more of a wetter kind of condition? Well, we, we definitely need to use the infrared in um, when it's happening. The thing about infrared cameras, I can tell you you've got a wet wall. I may not be able to tell you where that source of water is coming from. Um, Andy, in order to know more about this, and you know, I'm, feel free to um, give me a call. I'd, I'd have a conversation with you further about this. It can be condensation depending on what your house is, is doing I, and without being able to visually see it. Um, I can tell you where the wetness is with the camera. Um, what about, but sorry, what, what the bathroom okay. is right beside it. Could it be that, that the bathroom is beside this bedroom? Yep. You can have a leak from your shower, your toilet. You can have a leak in the um, uh, lines for your fan. So if the galvanized um, piping above has any condensation and it's not sealed properly, you can get wetness from that coming down your wall. There's a lot right. of variables. And so with this camera, we'll be able to detect that if you, if you point it to that wall, correct? If there's an existing water leak, I'll be able to find it. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Andy? Yes? When are we having a beer on your new deck? <laughs> I know. I know. Well, you, you were just mentioning about the concrete thing. I had an issue. Um, I had a, basically a little patio area that had a big crack down the middle. And I'm not a concrete guy. I'm scared to do it. And I'm a, very much a DIY person. So... Instead, I just built a deck on top of it and covered it, which is something I'm more comfortable uh, building. And uh, I'm showing Ian some pictures of it. So he's uh, definitely going to come for a beer one of these days. <laughs> you take care, Andy. Nice to hear from you. Thanks, Ian. You, you bet. Uh, Trina, we're going to have to let it go there because we're, we're just out of time. But uh, I really do appreciate your time, and it's been very insightful. And uh, I hope that uh, people come to the realization that uh, your investment in a home inspection prior to buying any kind of property is money well spent. Trina Scare is with Need to Know Home Inspection Services. 
on the web and on the phone, um, always available and always there to answer the phone. Thanks for being with us. Ian, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated it. It was fun. Always fun. We'll do it again soon. We have to take a break right now because we're running behind. And uh, we'll leave the lines open if you want to call with any questions or anything that might be going on. If you've been spending the entire week saying, I will get to it on the weekend, my friend, the weekend is here. So is the little contractor. Put him to task. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. We've got an open line segment. If uh, there's something going on at your place, a DIY project that you're working on, perhaps stuck on, or a major renovation that you're about to undertake, if you have a question, now is a good time to call 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell phone. You may recall last weekend, I was telling you I was looking for a landscaper and was having trouble finding somebody. It's high season. They're all really busy. It was pointed out that... Uh, I could have just as easily contacted Shell Buzzy's Home Service Referral Network. Mm -hmm. I found somebody, so we're good to go. Uh, But that's something to keep in mind for the future. A question that we received uh, by email, Steve, the the water pressure back to the bathroom. Uh, The water pressure seems to be considerably less in the kitchen faucet than elsewhere. Why is that? Is there a hot water shutoff or is there something else I should be looking at? Certainly the kitchen the kitchen is a nasty one because that's typically the most used faucet. So what often occurs in the older style homes when you have the shutoffs underneath the sink where they've got the, the, the turn ones, not these quarter turn ball valves, but the old styles, the washer in them. Over time, that washer dries out, it gets hot, it gets cold, and it just crumbles apart. And those little bits and fragments of the washer will find their way up into the faucet and, and do one of two things. You plug the body of the faucet itself or restrict the water flow through there and, and or at that aerator. So the best thing to do is is one of two things. The easiest way to find out, first of all, if that shutoff is working is shut it off and see if the water does shut off. If it doesn't, you know, that's where the problem is. But in the meantime, take the aerator off and just bl- wash it out, blow it out, do whatever you can do. you most likely find some little black chunks in there, and that's the disintegrated washer. Now you've got a problem because you have to replace that washer and that shutoff or the shutoff, and then you've got to have to shut off the main house to be able to get that one fixed. Get a plumber? Uh, that's a good idea because if you've got that sort of decrepitation going on in your in pipes, then you could have other things at, at, at hand there. My plumber has told me that my hot water tank is just about at the end of its life cycle. He has recommended that we go with an on-demand hot water system. Can you tell me, is this a good idea? Uh, He has explained it to me, but I'm not really sure what it is. Well, an on-demand system is, what it essentially does is as fast as the water comes into the unit, it goes out hot. So you don't have a storage tank. There's a very small amount of water that that remains in the the tank system or in in the heating unit. But it's typically a gas unit. They're, con- they're considerably smaller. They're often the size of a, of a small suitcase. They mount to a wall. They can go pretty much anywhere. And as fast as the water comes in, it goes out hot. So you don't have to worry about the storage tanks. You don't have to worry about uh, uh, heating water unnecessarily. So it's kind of two schools of thought. If you have lots of hot water use, you're not draining a tank. Or if you have very limited amount of use, you're not heating that unused water and therefore storing it. The cost is a bit more to get going on. There are some infrastructures you may have to change. A lot of times, maybe there's uh, two of them in the home. If you've got a bathroom way at the end of the house, you may want to just get hot water for that master ensuite and get that uh, get that hot right away for you. If you're on city metered water, uh, do you think that the on-demand system would be uh, less consumptive than a tank? 
they should be about the same. You're only using what you're using. Uh, the, the greatest thing is the energy savings, but there's also some consideration as well as some of them, there's complaints because it doesn't get hot immediately. It's because it relies upon draw, and you just simply don't have enough water pressure coming through these low-flow fixtures. So it shouldn't it shouldn't use more. Well, chances are it's probably going to use more water because now your shower can last 20 minutes long. But otherwise, it should just be just as the, uh, the tank system would be. Okay. Uh, here's another one. We, and I'm glad that we have this chance to, to get through some of these because we get so much, so much in the way of email and messages through Facebook. Uh, uh, we don't always have the time. And I think these are some issues that uh, many people face. I keep getting grass growing up through the driveway pavers. How do I get rid of it now that Roundup is banned where I live? That's, that's an interesting one. I, I freak people out when I tell them it's not grass coming from above. It's actually coming from, uh, sorry, it's not coming from below. It's coming from above. And that's often just cleanliness from uh, wind-blown grass. From you're cutting the lawn, it goes on there. It, should, it shouldn't grow from below because you have to hope that there is a, a, a good surface preparation below there. The grass shouldn't grow because there's no sunlight getting at it. And often it's just something on top. So if Roundup, yes, it has been banned in some in some municipalities. And the best way to get it, unfortunately, is just hard labor, just picking it out and be more diligent when you're cutting the lawn in the surrounding area. Here's one. I know you're going to love this. My sink drains slowly. Should I use Drano, liquid plumber, or any other kind of plumbing liquid that is available at such and such box store? There's, yeah, there is a lot of those that are available there. And the problem with commercial drain cleaners is is ranging from the good ones that may, maybe make it smell nice to the really toxic ones that the plumbers may have is really what happens is it takes that blockage, wherever it is in the pipe, usually at a connection or a horizontal run, and it emulsifies it and throws it further down the line to future become another block. And you put more cleaner down because it worked last time. And you do it again. And eventually what happens, you've got a really tough, stubborn blockage that, that even a plumber comes by with his snake and it runs right through. Try not to use them. Uh, regular maintenance and cleaning of the pipes would, would work better. How many people do that? Well, yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> You'd I mean, be I out of business if people did that more <laughs> that's often. That's right, exactly. It's like pulling out the fridge and cleaning behind the fridge. Who does that? 604-280-9898, star 9898. If you'd like to join us on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Great weekend to be outside, getting things done around your place. Also a good time, Steve, to uh, have a look at uh, what's working and what's not working around your place, looking for the obvious signs of decay or what else. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Time to clean out the gutters, seal those uh, leaking ends, check your ridge caps on the roof if you uh, don't climb up there, but have a look and just look at things that maybe look different than they were last time you looked last season. I think you can see a lot on the roof from the ground and and when you see something that requires attention, then get somebody who's uh, prepared and uh, skilled at getting up there. Yes. Uh, This goes along these same kind of lines. Uh, Another email that we received, uh, we have a pressure treated deck. It's three levels, 450 square feet, built about two years ago, and we've let it mature without any treatment whatsoever. We've been told to treat it. We have been told not to treat it. We've been told to let it go natural. What does your experience tell us to do? The, this this thing about leaving decks alone and leaving wood alone is it, it's sort of a challenging thing. So what you want to do is make sure the the natural moisture is out of it. So in a treated deck, there's lots of chemicals in it, and there's some moisture from being outside at the lumberyard. So that's got to dry up. Sometimes that'll only take a few days or a week. 
letting it season for a year or letting it dry for a year often invites some cracking and checking and warping and 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 then you got to clean it anyways and let it dry. So if if you're using a pressure treated material or even a cedar or even anything natural, as soon as the moisture content is at or below what the finish of the manufacturer says. So you look on the can, it'll say do not apply unless the temperature is this and the moisture is that. Then you're safe to go ahead. And it's better to get a finish on there so as it protects the wood through that season, through the winter season particularly. And most likely, and definitely not on a cedar deck, do not use paint. You mm. want to use a stain, a pigmented or semi-transparent stain, because that allows the wood to still breathe, particularly if it's open from below. So it's 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 not so much about letting it sit there for a year before you finish it, because that can invite more problems. It's about getting some protection on it as soon as it is suitably dry, according to what the manufacturer says on the on the application product. And how do you determine that level of dryness or moisture? Well, that's often you have to get a hygrometer. You can rent one. You can borrow one. Sometimes it is just a very good idea. They'll say, you know, let it dry. If you just got it, was a rainy spell when you put it on and uh, you want to put it on next weekend, but it just rained on Friday, let it try to set. So you have three or four days of good dry weather. I have a question for you. This goes back to what we were talking to Trina Scarabo when it comes to concrete. And it just occurred to me, uh, because it seems to be split 50-50. When you talk to, if you talk to 20 people, they'll tell you one thing. 20 others will tell you something else. And that, that's when it comes to fence posts. Yes. And concrete at the bottom of that fence post. Some say, yeah, it's the only way to go if you're using wood. And others would say, no, that's not the way to go. I'll just put it in gravel. Right. Well, it's, it's what the concrete's for is provides some, um, some buoyancy or some restriction of movement of the post. And, and it's not so much about the concrete. It's about how you dig the hole. It should bell out at the bottom. Uh, Trina spoke about using sauna tubes, which are look like uh, toilet paper tubes that stick above the ground. So you can get your concrete above the ground, which is a great idea, particularly for hitting it with a weed eater. Um, where I live often, they're not even using them because their water table is so high. Sometimes they're just dumping in the raw bag of cement mix and they let the water just sort of percolate up and, and that turns it into cement later on. So Does it cure? It, it it will cure. It'll still, it doesn't really mix consistently. It'll still cure it. Concrete takes 28 days to cure. And uh, it's it's more or less about being buoyant and, and having to remove some fence posts. They really stick in there well. I wonder if, uh, yeah, they do. But I'm wondering, does the, the concrete actually prevent the post from rotting? It doesn't prevent it from rotting. Um, it, it's just more for movement one side or the other. Your fence should not sway from side to side, but it should resist the the movement in and out, if that makes sense. So from sure. panel to panel, it should not move. But from the outside, the outside, it should uh, restrict that. Are a lot of people going now, When it, I know with decks, certainly composites are, uh, I think they're the recommended way to go if you've got the money and you want some longevity. Uh, what about fencing, uh, wooden fencing? Are people going away from wood maybe more towards composites or is it just too too expensive? It, it still is a big price point right now. We see it often on the highways, uh, large 20-foot high fences there. I've seen them in, in residential applications uh, I'd say there is a bit more of a price point on there, and they, they're they still sort of in that. Uh, it looks like the laminate first did, laminate flooring when it first came out, it was a pattern. And so there's some design ugliness, I'll call it anyways, but it's still very popular. And, and <laughs> is, the that, is that an architectural term? It is, ugliness. Design ugliness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Beware. Uh, call in a professional for design <laughs> ugliness. Amila Bamji is our technical producer. Steve Seaborn is the little contractor. My name is Ian Power. Stay with us for Vancouver Consumer. 
That's next on News Talk 980 CKNW.